episode 174 of the All the Books show recorded at the David A. Howe Public Library where we talk book news, author news, and literary news. I'm Eric Nichols. And I'm Nick Gunning. Hi, Nick Gunning. Hi, Eric. How are you? Good. I like that new sharp sweater you're wearing. Thank you. <laughs> this is an exciting episode. I'm excited about this episode today because uh-huh. uh, we had a nice chat with one of my favorite Christmas authors, Donna Van Leer. Hmm. I first discovered these many years ago mm-hmm. and have read one pretty much every Christmas since then. Right. So it's always uh, always a good time, always a good Christmassy time. Right. So it was a lot of fun to uh, sit down and chat with her and about you, that. So we're going to do that a little bit later. And you found these uh, very biographical. Because about the you were shoes? you were a young child buying Christmas shoes mm. for your mom, who was going to meet You're gonna Jesus that night. You're going to make it night. sad. You're going to make it <laughs> sad. <Okay>. <laughs> Did I? No, no. Oh, okay. You stopped short of making it sad. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do a little later. Right now, up front, we're going to talk about some of the things that we've been reading in our bookmark segment. Yeah. All right. So... Is I, it a light week for you? It is a light week for me, and cool. one of them is a failure. And I'm not afraid... I'm not ashamed to admit this failure to you, our listeners and viewers of the uh-huh. book show. That is Unsheltered by Barbara Kingsolver. Is that a failure for you? Or it is a failure. I, I will say that I am done with the book, but I did not finish the book. <gasps> Which is hard. Uh, it's hard for me to put down a book, especially I was pretty significantly into this one, but I was just I was just not enjoying it. Right. So the story is uh, lovely lady. It's two different groups of characters, mm-hmm. hundred years apart, both in the same house. So right. I usually like that. It's a good hook for me. Right. You know, you see like cause and effect and that sort of thing, and there was some of that, but I think in trying to. And trying to make, especially the throwback story, Mm -hmm. um, an allegory for the current political climate and the current leaders of the current political climate Mm -hmm. made it so that it didn't feel so much like a story and more like, I'm going to say these things to you now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was was a lot like, I mean, is this like a political science debate or is this a story? Mm. So that slowed it down a little bit for me. I was much more interested in the present day story, which follows a character named Willa, who is... Uh, suddenly having to take care of her uh, grandson. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty good. That was pretty interesting. Again, though, still kind of pulling it back to, you know, the political climate and them like dealing with that. I don't know. It It's in, in the sense, I guess you could say that it's timely because it's addressing things that are happening right now. Mm-hmm. But somehow it also feels dated mm. to be doing that. So. I don't know. I, I looked and and seems like the reviews are pretty split on this one. Either you get it or you don't. Uh, I think probably if you're a huge Barbara Kingsolver fan uh, and you enjoy her writing, that'll get you through it. Mm-hmm. I've read one other Kingsolver, which was Prodigal Summer, and I very much enjoyed it. Was looking forward to reading this one, but you know, after after going through a third of it, I just right set it aside. So okay. If you've read this and have a different opinion or think that I need to go back and catch the the bit, last bit, then please let me know. Yeah. You can find us on Twitter at the All the Book Show, and I would love to hear from, from you about that. I read, and this is a dumb comparison, and there's no good transition. Uh-huh. I read a graphic novel called Gotham City Garage, okay. which reimagines DC characters as like a post-apocalyptic biker gang. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that I did finish. Uh, <laughs> and you it, warrior. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. I yeah. think you would like it. I think you'd probably dig it more than I did. Yeah. The problem is that volume one mm-hmm. feels like it's all set up. Yeah. You get to the end and it's like, and now the beginning. Ooh. So I think there is a volume nice. two. So it's, we're not going to have an amazing Spider-Man mm. situation on our hands. Okay. But, uh, you know, yeah. on, as a standalone, you probably you want to have volume two locked and loaded. Because right. You're not going to leave with much on there. Okay. I am currently reading Disinherited 
by Peter David. Uh, this is a Star Trek novel. I'm, I always enjoy Peter David's uh, novels, with the exception of the novelization of the film Battleship, which I did read and I did hate. What? I don't know. I don't know, man. Yeah, Peter David, why couldn't you get the novelization of Battleship I'm done sorry. right? It's probably not his fault. <laughs> I'm reading Disinherited probably. with some friends of mine in our book club of the future, Star Trek Star Wars book right. club. So uh, my brother, Steve, past guest, uh-huh. Steve, if you're not familiar, yeah. uh, finished this book and loved it. Wow. And I'm really enjoying it. So we'll, we'll see when yeah. we get to the end. Look, and then this is, yes. I don't think you should be giving Peter David the benefit of the doubt with Battleship. After Battleship. Oh, okay. I'm, like, I don't think, I think he deserves more than your benefit I, of the doubt from Battleship. What do you mean? I mean, he, he, Peter David, he was writing the novelization for yeah. the movie Battleship, right. and you're like, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. This probably wasn't his fault. Yeah. So you think I, what are you, what are you saying? It's what definitely wasn't his fault? Right. Okay. So it's just like a paycheck situation yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. I can't blame a fellow for that. Yeah. <laughs> No, you can't. So I'm enjoying Disinherited. I do not recommend the novelization for the film Battleship, <laughs> in which they never say you sunk my battleship. No, so they didn't why? say. Well, they didn't say it in the movie. That's what I'm. Why? So, yeah. Why do you even do a movie if you're not going to say it? Somebody once took a collection of Rihanna's lines from yeah. Battleship, and if you just read them by themselves, yeah. it's it's very funny. A lot of them are just like, boom. That's fine. Watch out. Here it comes. Wait, wait, Rihanna's in Battleship. Rihanna's in Battleship. I knew Taylor Kitsch was. And Liam Neeson. And Le- yeah, yeah. So a lot of names got dragged through the mud. I don't, know why. I don't know why we're talking about this. Uh, again, no transition. Uh-huh. I'm reading a David McCullough book about Teddy Roosevelt called Mornings on Roosevelt. Horseback. I know. <laughs> I thought I could go back and fix it, but that'd be weird. I could just keep going and hope no yeah. one notices. But Who is this author? David McCullough. He right. he wrote um, you know the John Adams biography that they made the uh, miniseries out of, and he's sort of the go-to historian. Mm-hmm. Who, um, wait, who is the president that he wrote about? Many John Adams. Oh, I know him. Are you? Is this a go Hamilton on, thing? Go on. Wow. <laughs> this is one of those things. If ever you'd listen, you'd cut it. Uh, nope. Mornings on Horseback is about Teddy Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. I picked this up because I got it for Christmas, and it's almost Christmas again. And I was like, No, I got to read my Christmas books. So I picked it up and started reading it. And then when I went to shelve it on Goodreads, I noticed that I actually got this for Christmas in 2015. Mm. So sorry, whoever got him for Christmas. <laughs> it was my mother-in-law. It's very thoughtful oh, gift. Yeah. Um, so I'm reading it now, and I am enjoying okay. it. <laughs> the only other David McCullough that I've read is his book on the Wright brothers, which I do recommend. It was very. Good. I know them. It's very good. Yep. Is that also <laughs> Hamilton? Because I don't think the Wright brothers were in Hamilton. No, they weren't. All right, that's it for me. That'd be a different show. What about you? What uh, have you been reading? Uh, Slow week for you as well, right? Hey, <laughs> you said calm down. Me. Okay. Uh, Eric read four Venom comics. <laughs> no, I did not. I did read two Justice League comics by uh, Brian Hitch. He's an artist. Um, okay. He worked with Mark Millar on The Ultimates back in like the early 2000s, and he was a great artist, but he is not a good writer. Stick these, to art. This is volume two and three that I just read, and I didn't like volume one either, so these have been rough, and I thought I was maybe just not the right person reading these when I was about to give them two stars on Goodreads. And then I saw everybody else was giving them one and two stars mm. and be like, oh, this guy's an artist, so but not like, a writer. one of the pack. You thought you were unique. But yeah. So it's rough. Um, I wouldn't recommend these. So I think the writer changes, but okay, I got a bunch out. Yeah. So Yeah. And I got our, my copy of Wonder and Refugee for, for the book club. Yes. yes. And I just yes. dropped those off too. So great. I'll have to have them done by the end of next month. Oh, okay. Or those kids will eat me alive. Really? Yeah, I'll come in there for the book club. I'm like, hey, guys. So one is for what? What's the breakdown? Uh, Seventh grade is reading Wonder. Eighth grade is reading Refugee. Refugee. Okay. 
uh, by Alan Gratz. The adult book clubs were currently just finishing up um, Mr. Dickens and His Carol by yeah. Samantha Silva. And then we are reading When Alice Forgot by Leanne Moriarty as part of our Endless Winter book club. We're going to read mm. four Leanne Moriarty's. First up is What Alice Forgot. Okay. Um, have you read that one? No, I haven't. Oh, I've got, got it on my desk right now. There's I've got, listen, yeah. I've got a huge stack right now. Yeah. Hey, I keep, I keep getting more and more things and I'm like, that's yeah. next. No, that's next. I got, I have that. I have the price of duty and I'm still live mm-hmm. and the, uh, Legion Brandon Sanderson book yeah. in my bag. And wow. I keep, I keep going to lunch and like going to grab a book and then I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And then, so I think I grabbed books I wanted to read, but I'm not wanted to read right now. This, uh, Peter David disinherited. And I usually do those quickly, but yeah, I know oh, yeah. what you mean. Um, actually, man. I was at, we were at Barnes and Noble, you and I, yeah. and I saw they have a Legend of, they have a new edition, the fifth edition of Legend of the Five Rings, uh, because Fantasy Flight Games an RPG, took over. Right, game. it's a role playing game like Dungeons and Dragons and whatnot, but set in a uh, fantasy, uh, j- like hybrid of Japanese and uh, Chinese lore, uh, more more feudal Japan. Okay. But anyway. Uh, the fifth edition of that, but I don't know if you remember. I I was reading like a series of those books. Oh yeah. So after seeing that, I'm like, oh, that's right. I got to pick up the fourth book. That's right. What do you so, want? Like Scorpion? Uh, Scorpion was the first one. Oh. And then it was Unicorn. <laughs> that's not funny. It's a little funny. And then I can't remember if the third one was Crane. I didn't like the third one much, so I think Crane I'm on Phoenix. Crane. And after Phoenix is uh, I think Dragon, and then uh, Lion ends it. So someone else is in there that I'm forgetting. I can't remember who I'm forgetting. Do you remember? I can't. No. Phoenix. Crane, Sorry. Fiber. Crab. The crab are in there somewhere. <laughs> Sorry. How could you forget crab? Crab are the. Uh, they're like the big. I know what a crab is. No. <laughs> they're like they're kind of big and burly. They're all oh. standing on a wall fighting okay. off demons. Look. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, Nick and I also saw Creed too. Um, we did. Yeah, sometimes we try to make this work outside of this podcast, and yeah. this was another attempt. The movie was good. That's yeah. the best thing I can say about Outside that night. Outside of it, abject silence. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't say anything. I didn't say yeah. anything. There was a lot of coughing. Did you like the movie? And him saying, what? I was like, oh, nothing. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, we differ on this because, oh? well, you're a Rocky fan. You're a Rocky fan. I like the first Rocky. Yeah. I lo- yeah. See, I love the whole series. Uh-huh. I'm like, I love Rocky. Yeah, I've only seen the first so two So it was Rockies. exciting to me. I'm a little surprised that... Uh, I think you would have enjoyed it more if you were from if you'd seen Rocky Four mm. because it really it mirrors Rocky Four quite a bit. Okay, in a good way. I right, mean, not in a bad way, but it definitely does. Um, I was pretty happy with the movie. What about you? Overall? Yeah, it was good. I don't think that it it quite lived up to the first Creed movie. It doesn't have the energy of no, the first one. Because, not as just a standalone yeah. movie. It does. Yeah, mainly because I think Apollo. Yeah. No, not Apollo. Adonis. Adonis he. It doesn't feel like there's much for him to do. Right. I guess like it felt like Robert B. Jordan didn't have too... Wait, not... Did I say Robert B. Jordan again? Michael B. Jordan. Gosh. Uh, Michael B. didn't seem to have like too much to do mm. acting-wise. There were certainly some slowdown moments in the yeah. film. I think we both agree on so, that. So I think... I think he's still good, but like performance-wise, Creed One is a better performance for uh, Jordan. But I think as a as an end, hopefully an end cap to the Rocky series, I right. think it's very successful in that yeah. regard. I think Rocky's character development is great. And yeah. I think he gets a really yeah. very satisfying ending. Yeah, Rocky Five was an awful, awful ending. <laughs> I love I loved Balboa. I was really glad they came back and right. did Balboa. I thought that was a great movie. It's one yeah. of my favorites in the series. And I've enjoyed both of these creeds, but I do think mm-hmm. everybody's journey has come to a close. Right. Oh, okay, yeah. Um I recommend it. All right. You know, and I was I was t- mm-hmm. I was telling my wife a little bit about this last night. I feel like Rocky Balboa 
sets up the Creed movies very well. So you could almost release Rocky Balboa, Creed, and Creed Two as its uh, own trilogy. Uh, sure, you know because it's it Rocky Balboa works as a good. Um, it's a linchpin either way. It can mm-hmm. either be like the six Rocky movie or almost like a Creed prequel. Yeah. So, I mean, even, even the bad Rockies are fun to watch. Mm. So what know. are the bad Rockies? Uh, four and five. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> uh, I, I hear a lot of people say three, but I was actually okay with three. Four is just so eighties. Yeah. So he's got like a little robot pal. And yeah. it, it's, I don't know. It's a weird movie. Okay. Five. I got to give him props for not just like Rocky's in the ring again. He's like mm-hmm. training a street fighter, mm-hmm. which could be kind of cool. But I just think the movie falls right. apart by the end. And you yeah. just are like, why? Why did I do that? He's training a street fighter to box? Yeah. It must be Belrog. Yeah, it is Belrog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Belboa comes back and kind of puts the pieces back together. And then, of course, okay. here we are with Creed 2. Of course. So I recommend the whole Rocky series. Yeah, I recommend Street Fighter 2. The World Warrior. Do you? Yeah. I agree. Eric made the point off mic that huh? you can you can approach Creed and Creed 2 as standalone movies. You right. don't need to have the history of the Rocky yeah, Creed franchise two behind. F- fills in a lot of the blanks for you. Yeah. So, yeah. I th- yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if people who are seeing Creed 2 for the first time go back yeah. and watch Rocky 4. I agree, yeah. So, yep. There you are. Anyway. Two that's it. Up. Yeah, that's it. All right. I mean, I guess I've been watching a lot of Gotham. I'm oh, still in season boy. one, but I'm kind of and we learned it. just recently there's a book series that is based yeah. on the Gotham series. Yeah. So, so if you can't get enough Gotham, we'll <laughs> read it. It's there. I don't know. I've been looking at stuff for season five. Like they keep announcing it every time they announce something. I'm like that seems ridiculous. I'm in. <laughs> so <laughs> okay, yeah. it's right. it's bad, but I've I've learned. I've decided I'm embracing how bad and You've dumb it is. It. Yeah, okay. I didn't say grow to love it. I said I'm embracing. You said you loved it. I. Mm. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's turn it over to some book news. That's advanced notices. It is advanced notices. I've right. got some things that are due for publication yeah. uh, after the new year. So everybody yeah. just calm down because okay. these aren't coming out until March. Who? Uh, in one that's going to be a big hit here, one of our top authors, circulating authors here is Mr. C.J. Box. Uh-huh. He's written a couple of standalones, which people enjoyed. But this right. is back to the Joe Pickett series. Joe Pickett. Yeah. Wyoming game warden Joe Pickett encounters bad behavior on his own turf, only know. to have the FBI and the DOJ ask him to stand down in the thrilling new novel from number one New York Times bestselling author C.J. Box. Who doesn't love a little bit of turf war in their fiction? You know? Yeah. I don't know. So Joe is like <laughs> a, he's a game warden, you know, so he's like patrolling. Uh, oh, are these modern? Yeah. These aren't Westerns? No, they're not Western. No, they're not Westerns. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, so you know he's got he's got a certain area that he sort of covers and keeps an eye on the the, the debut of this uh, series, which we called Open Season, which we read for a book club forever ago, mm-hmm. uh, is about a they find a specific kind of I want to say muskrat that was only okay. it was like they thought extinct, but they found him on this mountain. But people wanted to like strip mine the mountain, and so Joe had to sort of like get in the way of that and then of course murders happened oh, and he solves them sure and he saves the mink i'm just gonna spoil it he saves he does save the mink so nice. don't worry about it okay i think i said muskrat before but he saves the small animal right and everything's fine a raccoon joe pickett <laughs> book number 19 oh wow yes okay popular that's a lot for a modern not western book agreed St- uh steve barry is back with his these are always i i think steve barry might take issue with what i'm about to say but the steve barry books Never quite like crest, mm. you know what I mean. They never, yeah. they never like huge runaway hits, but yeah. they're they're pretty popular. They're still coming out in hardcover. Mm-hmm. They've got legions of fans, but they're kind of that 
next level down. Oh, poor Steve Barry. They're a step above like a, the paperback original. Right. Nothing wrong with a paperback <laughs> original. I'm just saying. Yeah. Step above a paperback original numbers-wise, mm. but a little below the like perennial best-selling yeah. authors. Hey, do you want some umbrage? Sure. Oh, you know, too late. Steve Barry just took it all. <laughs> Cotton Malone, book 14. Malta a, Exchange. Malta What's a Malta? Ex- I'm not sure. Well, it's a place, but <laughs> oh. a deadly race <laughs> for the Vatican's oldest secret fuels Ooh. New York Times bestseller Steve Barry's latest international Cotton Malone thriller, A Pope is Dead. Oh, a conclave no. <laughs> to elect his replacement is about to begin. Cardinals are beginning to arrive at the Vatican, but one has fled Rome for Malta mm-hmm. in search of a document that dates back to the 4th century and Constantine the great and remember Not the dc hero cardinals dress in red blood red <laughs> so. that's pretty good thank you that's pretty good uh, again this do is... you think the pope was murdered in this maybe because it just started off with like the pope, the is, pope dead. is dead it's like yeah. geez very a christmas carol in that way what <laughs> okay yeah uh this must be understood look i'm a little surprised i'm a little surprised at what uh-huh. i'm about to tell you right now book number 10 in the nikki heat series is coming out. Nikki Heat, of course, uh, a fictional character mm-hmm. written by the fictional character as played by Nathan Fillion. This is like the Rainbow Rowell Richard Castle situation where she wrote Fangirl, who and was then, a character who the Fangirl was about a Fangirl of a Harry Potter like book, yes. and then she wrote the book Carry, Carry on, on, which is that book. Is so book? it'd be like if that if Carry On had 10 more it's sequels. Exact, it's exactly <laughs> like that. So Castle, the long-running yeah. ABC series starring yeah. uh, Nathan Fillion, these are the books written by his character. <laughs> now, normally, these are some kind of a pun, uh-huh. but I would argue that Crashing Heat is uh-huh. meaningless. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out. Does I actually it, read that as Crashing anything. Heart at first. That makes more sense. And I found a bunch of very romantic rap songs. I bet you did. So. Marriage. Oh. It's a double-edged sword. Dead. Or at least it is for Nikki Heat. Mm. Her husband, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Jameson Rook, infuriates her in a way no one else in her entire life has ever done. He also takes her to heights of pleasure she has never experienced. <laughs> Yowza! <laughs> Keep that to yourself. Yowza! Yeesh. With apologies to young listeners. Uh, let's see. Uh, it's a pleasure okay but most of all <laughs> she loves the man with all her heart and she'd do anything to protect him which is just what she has done not so long ago it had almost cost them everything oh. so if you're a fan of castle in the nikki heat series someone is smiling down on you still writing these years after that <laughs> series went off the air I, look i can't criticize these because i've been uh-huh. reading murder she wrote books written by jessica fletcher mm-hmm. since the early 90s mm. um so you know god bless the fans of the Nikki Heat series, and, and I'm I'm glad for you that these still yeah. exist. I typed in crashing heat pun to see yeah. if it was a pun, but I found this pretty funny webcomic where the ocean says, I'll meet you at high tide, and the sand says, sure. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. So right, thank you, Nikki gonna, Heat. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> that's going to do it for me in advance notices. Right. So Eric, let's see what's... Are any of these ones that you read, these three, any um, of these series? I've, I mean, I read the first uh, Joe Pickett. Okay. I read the first Nikki Heat. Okay, there so. you go. Uh, oh, you read Nikki. Did you read The Castle? What? Did you read Castle? Ca- what do you mean? Did you read any... Richard Castle. Nikki Heat. Yeah, I read the first of the Nikki Heat Nikki books. Heat's like the books that Castle writes. Is Castle not a book series? It's oh, just no, a- no, no. Oh. It's just a fi- books written by a fictional Richard Castle. Oh, You're not okay. like Castle and Beckett. No, I thought the- Castle was its own book series. No, no, no. And then, oh, okay. No, the the fictional Richard Castle writes uh-huh. the Nikki Heat series uh-huh. and the Derek Storm series. Okay, there you go. It's a lot. I don't. 
this knowledge right. up here that's yeah. not helpful for anyone. But <laughs> All right, you want to know the New York Times bestsellers list, right? Boy, do I. Yeah, I had to leave it open all day because I only got two articles remaining oh, on this boy. free New York Times oh, list. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Uh, number 10 on the New York Times bestsellers list for hardcover Hit fiction. Me. What is Not it? a lot new. I, I think it's just because we're like in the Christmas time. Yeah. So people are buying what... It's, it, I mean, you know, we got a Grisham book out and everything. So people are like, oh, we got to get a Grisham book for mom and a... Yeah. George R. R. Martin book for mom. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody's dad is walked yeah, out, I guess. Him, yeah. uh, number 10, uh, Nine Perfect Strangers by Leanne Moriarty. A romance writer becomes fascinated by the owner and director of a health resort. Uh, not good reviews. Hmm. From my wife. So take that. Uh, let's see. Oh, nope, this isn't new, but this was a drop. This was at number one last week. Okay. Now it's at number nine, Kingdom of the Blind by Louise Penny. While on suspension, Chief Inspector Armand Gamache is made an executor of a stranger's will and tries to keep a deadly neurotic off of Montreal's streets. So last last week I had some issues okay. saying executor. But you did it today. I did it, yeah. Uh, number eight, Long Road to Mercy by David Baldacci. Uh, number seven is oh, the five people. The next pe- the next person you meet in heaven. I'm. Yeah. I mean that's, Barry a, that's a Christmas present. That is a Christmas present. Y- right yeah. There. yeah. Barry Manilow is still alive. Oh, you know what? He's still. I'm at Barry White. He's dead. Yeah. You meet. He's the next person you meet in heaven. He's passed. Hello. He's passed. I can't do a Barry White impression. He's passed. Oh yeah. That was the Kool Aid Man. He passed on. Yeah. Do, do you think you meet? Is the Kool Aid Man dead? Boy. You meet him in heaven. Yeah, with so. that building that much sugar, he's got to have some health issues, I would think. <laughs> Jeez. All right, number six, Past Tense by Lee Child. Uh, Jack Reacher explores the New England town where his father was born. Uh, okay. Uh, James Patterson, Target. Alex Cross. So Alex Cross is a target. And number five, Alex okay. Cross returns for the 26th book. 26th Written, Alex Cross. Uh, uh, noteworthy for being the only thing. Yeah individually written by james patterson still harlan coben says alex cross is a legend he probably said that in 1986 <laughs> number four nicholas spark <laughs> every breath and why wouldn't you just call it every breath you take because everybody's saying that yeah you're just making it frustrating for us it feels maybe, like we're maybe all sting was like no oh uh, yeah no yeah uh, the rest of the police are like sure yeah <laughs> sting's like nope uh number three yeah, cause sting's doing so great I think Sting's doing okay. He's doing all right. I mean, the residuals alone yeah. probably keep him in. Yeah, probably keep him in gravy. Yeah, he he did a song for uh, Emperor's New Groove back in two thousand one. Wow. So right. he's been living high off that. Yeah, yes. Uh, Fire and Blood by he just did that album with Shaggy. I know it was real good. Yeah, like Zoing Sting. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh oh man, Fire and Blood by George R R Martin is at number three, and this is the three hundred years prequel. Finally, so three hundred years before the events of Game of Thrones. Finally, um yeah, uh oh number two is new. Ooh, by Nora Roberts. What did I just click on an ad for what? Google. Yikes. Wow. Google has to advertise themselves now. Yeah. Uh, of Blood and Bone by Nora Roberts. Were you upset that this is a sequel? No, or I just, Nora you Roberts. were like, hey, a new one. And I was like, great. Then you were like, Nora Roberts. And I was like, okay. Wow. Uh, while the people of New Hope face threats, Fallon Swift goes on three quests to discover her powers. Jimmy this Fallon? Is, this is the sequel to Year One. <gasps> oh, so, this is the one where she fights Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> no? Uh, number one is The Reckoning by John Grisham. Cool. 
A decorated World War II veteran shoots and kills a pastor inside of a Mississippi church, setting off a fire of news, media, and local politics in a way that the town might never be able to repair from. Meanwhile, a dog opens the bakery. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> a dog bakery? Does he sell like He sells dog? No, he sells they people. Are dog bakeries. No, he's a dog. Okay. But he sells people food. Good luck getting a permit. <laughs> so, yeah. Was that number one? You know where you get a permit from? A cat bakery. <laughs> oh, per permit. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for doing that uh, Catwoman it, <laughs> impression. It needed to be done because that one was a thinker and not in a good way. Yeah. Was that number one? Yeah, that was number one. John Grisham, The Reckoning. Grish, good for him. Okay. Before we move on from <laughs> book news, I do, have for him. <laughs> I do have some Grisham-related news that I, I want to share. Oh, do you? Uh, Hulu. You're familiar with Hulu. Mm, you know the Hulu. Give me a second. Hulu. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Hulu is developing basically an Avengers-esque uh, multi-series connected universe uh, mm. based on John Grisham material. What? I don't know. I don't know. I'm a big Grisham fan, but I read right. that and like fell asleep for right. two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. They are they're they're the first set their sights on two Grisham books, Rogue mm. Lawyer, which I don't like the book, but it actually makes perfect sense for uh-huh. a TV show. Yeah. I understand that. Okay. The Rainmaker is another one, which I believe was a movie with Danny DeVito, I want to say. Danny DeVito and Matt Damon, maybe? Yeah. Finally, the Rainmaker and the Rogue Lawyer teaming up. Finally. To stop so, Loki. <laughs> uh, I am a John Grisham fan. I'm not that thrilled about this. Yeah. I don't... I mean... I'm trying to think how I many. I haven't watched a ton of the John Grisham adaptations. Sadly, I have seen Christmas with the Cranks. I don't recommend it, <laughs> but it's not something that I really like go and seek out. So these aren't right anything that I'm super pumped about. But it's interesting nonetheless that they're looking at Grisham's works and making like a connected universe. So good for Hulu. Good for Grish, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's it for book news. Okay. All right. Uh, well, next on the plate, as we uh, teased early on, we have an interview with Donna Van Leer. Yeah. Donna Van Leer, if you're not familiar with her, is the New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of over 14 novels, including The Christmas Shoes, which is part of the Christmas Hope oh. series. Um, several in this series have been adapted uh, as uh, movies. The first two have Rob Lowe. you got Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, the Hallmark Channel made uh, several more into movies, all well-received all popular around Christmas time. A very talented, very prolific author. And we had a chance to sit down and ask her some questions. So roll it. All the books presents Author Spotlight. Hi, Nick. Hi, Donna. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Probably better than you because I didn't spend the morning at the dentist. Yes, I know. <laughs> I always dread it, but yes. <laughs> it's got to be done. Absolutely. Well, I'm here with Eric Mickles, and we've just got a few questions for you about some of your books, if you have a minute for us. Sure. Great. Okay. Well, uh, this first question has a long lead-in, so everybody buckle up. Uh when I was in high school, I went to this youth convention down in Tennessee, and there was a band there. And it was new song, and they played their hit "Christmas Shoes," and this was July, so that's a, <laughs> I think that's a good indicator of just how like present that song was. I mean, everybody loved it. So my question here is, how did that roll into you uh, taking taking the you know the skeleton of that song and turning it into a book series? 
Well, actually, we were backstage at a new song conference. Really? It was many years ago. Yep. And I remember it was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it was in July. It was sweltering hot that day. And Eddie, who's a longtime friend, he's the founder and the, uh, one of the main songwriters there for New Song. He said, Donna, I'm thinking about writing a Christmas song. And he gave me just a short, maybe two-sentence premise. And he said, what do you think? Do you think that would make a good Christmas song? And I said, you know, I actually think that'd make a really good book. And so just kind of tongue-in-cheek, he said, well, you know, you're the one with the computer. You know, get to writing it. <laughs> and uh, he was just teasing. He had no idea that he'd really kind of sparked my imagination. Yeah. And I went home, and I actually did uh, start to write the book. And I was already well into the book before they had the song written. Really? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize you were just like right there at the ground floor. Yes. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, so they, they kind of happened at the same time, but of course it takes a lot less time to write a song than a book. And, sure, yeah. And and the song came out first, which was great. It was a good lead-in for the book. I bet, yeah. So th- this this was your first published novel, right? It was my first novel, yes. Okay. It had not been my first book, but it was my first novel. Oh, okay. All right. Well, great. Well, here's Eric with the follow-up. Um, so in your Christmas Hope series... You always manage to have uh, certain characters from out the series uh, appear. Um, and why did you decide to do that, and how do you approach it? I do like them to, some of them, to kind of reappear. But I never, I never want the reader to feel as if they have to start at the very first book in the series, you know, and you have to read it in order. Um, because I avoid series like that. I'm like, eh, I don't know <laughs> if I have the time commitment, you know, to go sure. back and start with number one. Um so I always want the books to be standalone. But for those readers who are familiar with the books, they'll say, oh, I remember Gloria, you know, from another book. But I always like them to be standalone so that the reader isn't confused. Right, sure. Yeah, that is always a nice little surprise, you know, when you're reading along and you'll, you'll recognize a book from, from a previous one. And I, I get what you're saying about the whole series thing. Sometimes people can just see that, you know, book three and they're like, oh, never mind. You know, that happens all the right. time. When we go to check right. a book out and they'll, they'll notice that, they'll be like, oh, just forget it. Just put it back. So, right. yeah, I think that, that's <laughs> right. clever. Yeah, that would be me. I'm one of those readers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm a big Christmas book fan. I mean, every, every year I'm always like, what am I going to read this year? What am I going to read this year? And for the last several, I mean, I always have one of yours in the stack here. Uh, so I enjoy them myself. And one of the things I've noticed about Christmas books in general is that it's it's hard. I think it's hard to make them, you know, have that holiday feel, make them heartwarming without kind of dipping into like schmaltzy and like overly sentimental. And I think you do a good job of of making them, you know, just just how I want them without kind of pushing it over that edge. And I just wonder how how it is that you do that i mean do you do you have that in your mind absolutely i want it to be uh, i want them to be real characters right. i want them to be people that would be taken from real life because i live in reality i don't live in a fantasy world mm-hmm. at all i'm i'm very much aware of the reality around me and the realities in people's lives so i want the characters to be someone um that the reader could appreciate, they could identify with, they could be like, oh, wow, I'm a lot like this person. Um, so I always approach it from, okay, who, what is the storyline? Who are the characters? How is it realistic? Um, but I also want there always to be hope because mm-hmm. we live in a, a culture that is um, faced with many problems. <laughs> yes, <with> we do. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of problems. <laughs> 
And so I know that the reader is aware of that, but I also want the reader to know that there's hope. There's always hope in this world. You know, Cicero said, well, there's life, there's hope. As long as we're breathing, there's hope in our lives. And that's how I approach every single book. And it's how I approached this one, uh, The Christmas Star, the brand new one, because uh, there's a character in there, the main, one of the main characters, and she's divorced, and she thinks, well, this is it, you know, this is my life, this has been my life for the last six years, you know, I'm a divorced woman, and I don't have children, and, you know, where do I go now? But I wanted to approach it from the fact that, hey, there's unexpected turns up ahead that we never take into account, and I wanted her to... Um, approach some of those unexpected turns that she hadn't anticipated. Yeah, I, well, I, I've always found your characters to be strong and relatable. And, you know, I, obviously, a, a book's, book's kind of made or, or broken on, on how strong the characters are. So I think you do a good job of, of you know, having a good hook that you really, you want, you're rooting for this person, you know, you, you want to know what happens. Uh, and with those characters, I, I wonder, what was it like for you as an author when you have these characters that have been in your mind, have been in your computer, ultimately on a page, then to see them, you know, come alive with, with somebody like Rob Lowe playing them? I mean, what is that like for you as an author? Well, it's it's kind of surreal. I bet. Because, yeah, because you, you think, wow, I, I didn't anticipate, again, those unexpected turns yeah. up ahead. You know, I didn't anticipate this happening. And um, sometimes you think, oh, wow, this character is spot on, you know, this actor who's mm-hmm. playing this character. And then there's others where it's like, wow, they missed the mark on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did not have her in mind at all. But, you know, that's just how it goes. Sure. And I've always, uh, I've always been of the frame of mind, as long as they maintain the theme of a book, because they can't put all the characters in. They oh, sure. can't put all the subplots in to... Um, a television movie, but if they maintain the theme, I'm happy with it. And what is what is that process like? I mean, are you are you involved much? And in, when they're adapted like that, do you have much say, or are there things that that uh, you know, what what is that like? Well, no, I wouldn't say that I that I have much say at all. They do let me read the script. I'm allowed oh, to good. look over them, and I can kind of um, add suggestions, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. You sort of nudge things they, in the right direction. <laughs> And they have changed some things along the way. Um, I think they call it creative consultation okay. is what I have. Okay. But you know, I don't. Beyond that, I, I don't. I don't have anything that okay. I'm able to do. All right. So uh, last question. Um, you have a new book out, The Christmas Star, and I guess our question is just: What was the most challenging part of writing this book right now? Um, well, it's just. Um, I always feel the time crunch because I always write when my kids are in school. Okay. If if my kids are home, I'm not at the computer trying to write because right. it's impossible <laughs> if you have children <laughs> to try to do that. Right. Um, so the time crunch for me is is always the the, the biggest issue in thinking, oh, am I going to be able to turn this in mm-hmm. on time? Um, and of course, there's always so many things that need to be done there's a load of laundry that needs to be put in you know there's dishes that need to be washed and put so away. life right so yeah. there's always those things um around me as well i i don't have people who do that for me i tend you know i am the chief bottle washer and cook and taxi driver so so i have all of those commitments uh running a household and just being sure to get the book on time so that's always in the back of my mind right 
So this many books in, are you finding that you still enjoy the process? Is it still something that you, uh, you know, that you find rewarding and challenging? I do. I love the process because um, I love Christmas. I love the meaning mm-hmm. of Christmas. I love the hope of Christmas. And I know that it's a it's a dark and depressing time for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I always keep that in mind when I'm writing that, hey, Christmas is not the joyous occasion, the joyous holiday that it is for a lot of people. For many people, it can be very lonely. And I always approach the books of, you know, how can this help someone this Christmas season? And I'm so grateful because I do hear from a lot of readers who say, um, I'm alone. Um, I'm divorced. I'm widowed. My children are grown. You know, I'm an mm-hmm. empty nester. And that the books do help them. They do give them, you know, some ray of hope, um, a glimpse of a glimpse of hope that maybe they thought, eh, it's not really out there for me this year. So that for me is really rewarding as an author. Oh, I, I, I can imagine. So. I mean, I, I know whenever I finish one, they always leave me feeling a little bit more positive. <laughs> yes, and I'm always so grateful when I do hear from people saying, you know, I asked my lo- local library if they would get this <laughs> because I know some authors are like, no, I want you to buy the book. Oh, but, yeah. Hey, I'm. I'm pro-library. I still take my kids to the library, you know, every couple of weeks for to refill on books. So so oh, that's I, great. I love the local library and what they represent in communities. Well, we've got your books here, so any of our locals can come in and check them out anytime. Awesome. <laughs> well, hey, thanks again for doing this. We really appreciate it, and I know our listeners are going to enjoy it. Uh, thank you both, Nick and Eric, and I hope you have a great Christmas. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. That was great. It was. <laughs> Thanks so much, Donna, for taking the time to talk to us. Um, these, Like I said, these books are just some of my, some of my absolute favorites. They're, mm-hmm. they're, just, they're just the right zone for me, like Christmas-wise. You know, right. They're very Christmassy. They're fun. They're quick reads. Um, I always enjoy them and usually have one, like I said, just about mm-hmm. every year I'll have one uh, on the stack. So it was a pleasure talking to her. Uh, anyway, let's uh, look ahead for some library news. Yeah. So it's the end of the year, so we're kind of winding down with things. Uh, we are open every day except for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, but the rest mm. of the time we will be here. So come on in. Otherwise, we'll get lonely. Not this guy. Eric won't be here. Um, we have one more concert this year. Creek Bend Band is going to be December 20th. This is rescheduled from November. They typically come in November. So this is their first time coming around Christmas. So that means this is our first chance to hear some Creek Bend Christmas songs, which uh, I'm looking forward to because they're, uh, yeah. they're just a great group. Very, very strong uh, musicians, which is always just to watch them play. I mean, the, the singing and the harmonies and everything is great, but their musicianship when they're playing those instruments, is it's fascinating just to watch. So that's December 20th. Uh, already mentioned the upcoming book clubs, and that is What Alice Forgot yeah. by Leanne Moriarty. Yeah. We're going to be talking about Leanne Moriarty after the new year uh, with the special guest, Kendra Mickles. Yeah. Uh, she's a big Leanne Moriarty fan, and we're starting this book club, so we're going to get her on the mic and get her take on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's pretty much it for me. Mm. We've got our annual showings of the Muppets uh, Letters to Santa, which is going to be on all right, Friday yep. the 21st at 10 o'clock. Then the following week, December 28th, we're yeah. showing the Polar Express. Also at 10 o'clock, so I hope you join us for that. Woo! Anything you want to add? Uh, this Wednesday is our last teen night of the year, the 19th, at 5.30, and we're doing like an anime loot uh, Yankee swap. Oh, okay. a whole bunch of uh, anime uh, items, T-shirts and uh, posters and figurines and other stuff, all wrapped up. Uh, so. so nobody has to bring a present. They just show right. up. And yeah, we're providing can, the presents. You can either pick a new present or swap. Right. An ex- oh, yeah. okay. So it's going to be exciting. Yeah. 
And then, uh, yeah, that's basically it okay. until the new year, yeah. until 2019. Right. Hopefully that year is a little bit shorter yes, than 20, definitely. whatever five-year stretch this has been. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So, all right. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, next time, we will have a special guest, special guest uh-huh. Bo Hutchings, writer who is recently of... here as, no, no, not a writer, <laughs> but has performed here as the mm-hmm. Nutcracker Prince for the last two years. We, The three of us picked uh, Christmas, cozy oh, Christmas boy. books, <laughs> and we're going to sit down and chat yeah. and do a little uh, book report on those Christmas books. So that's yeah. going to drop Christmas That's a fun Eve. episode. So hope you'll join us for that. And we will talk to you then. Bye.